Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, Drew and I are wrapping up the penultimate novel in Stephen R. Donaldson's Gap Cycle with The Gap into Madness, Chaos and Order. Another explosive ending for this one. <laughs> or should I say implosive ending with this one? So let's jump on in. Drew, recap the second half of this book for us. Absolutely. The second half of The Gap into Madness, Chaos and Order, wastes no time. As Vector analyzes the mutagen immunity drug, Nick and Soros each put their plans in action, using Ciro as a pawn. Soros abducts him and reveals that she serves the Amnion due to a delayed mutagen. She injects Ciro with it and commands him to sabotage Trumpet. In return, she will keep him supplied with enough antidote to keep the mutagen inert. On board Trumpet, Angus reveals Warden's countermove against Holt Fastener. The machine code in Warden's command told Angus to give his priority codes to Morn and Davies after he gave them to Nick. Together, the three of them free Angus from his priority codes and get ready to ambush. Soros and Sor leave the lab and turn around, intending to capture Trumpet after Ciro's sabotage. But first, Milos commands Soros to destroy the lab and ensure all evidence of Vector's successful research is erased. The crew of Trumpet successfully takes down Nick and begins their escape from the lab and the asteroid swarm. Morn and Mika convince Ciro to reveal what Soros did to him, and Vector quickly learns that the, mut- that the mutagen immunity drug will cure him. Mika stays with Ciro as Morn, Davies, and Angus run the bridge. Back on Earth, Hashi Lebowl and Koina Hanish attend the emergency session of the GCES. Holt Fastner's right-hand man, Cletus Fain, makes his first appearance, and Sixton Vertigus proposes the Bill of Severance. Before the vote can take place, however, Hashi notices that Akazi is in the room. He thwarts the attempted bombing and manages to get the Kazi's ID tag and CMOS chip fully intact. After the bombing scare, the Governing Council for Earth and Space heavily votes against the Bill of Severance. Back in the asteroid swarm, Trumpet navigates outward. However, they run into free lunch and barely survive thanks to experimental dispersion fields. Angus turns Trumpet around, preferring to face down Sore first. Nick convinces Morn to release him and let him go extravehicular to attack Sore directly. Sib goes with him. Nick uses a laser cannon to disable Sore's proton gun and kills Sib in his madness. With the help of more dispersion fields, Angus sets a trap, faking a crash on an asteroid and, an, and acting like Trumpet was sabotaged. Before he can finish getting ready, though, Free Lunch re-enters the fray. Soar and Free Lunch duke it out while Angus takes desperate action. Using his personal matter cannon and a singularity grenade, Angus creates a black hole inside the asteroid swarm. Free Lunch is immediately destroyed. Soar and Trumpet both barely escape. Angus is rendered incapacitated, and Morn has to break her own arm to avoid gap sickness. Davies and Mika get her to sickbay and extricate Trumpet from the gravity well. While all this is happening, Punisher and Calm Horizons face off outside the swarm, each jockeying for position to help or hurt Trumpet. As Soar and Trumpet both near the edge of the swarm, Nick has snuck aboard Soar and confronts Soros Chatelaine. He goes out with both a bang and a whimper, as Soros handily defeats him once again, shooting him in the chest. Calm Horizons fires on Trumpet, but fails to destroy the Gap Scout. At that moment, 
Punisher fires a massive salvo at the Amnion defensive. Aboard Sor, Sorus Chatelain grasps her only hope. She kills Milo's Taverner and orders her crew to fire upon Calm Horizons. The Amnion, the Amnion fire back, destroying Sor, but letting Trumpet escape. Min orders Punisher to flee after Trumpet, which has been broadcasting Vector's immunity drug in all directions. With the fate of Angus hanging by a thread, and knowledge of the immunity drug now public, we close the last insane pages of Chaos and Order. Very nice. Very nice. So, I've only got one style discussion point today. Uh, you may have more. I'm just going to get mine out of the way, though. I noticed something about our list of characters. I should say my list of characters today when I was making my notes in, in prep for this episode. And I, this is something I think I briefly talked about in the last episode, one of the last episodes. But I don't know if I explained it very well. I'm going to try again. With our list of characters that, like, the ones that... that, that des- I'm going to try that sentence again. The list of characters that deserve talking about is huge. My character list for this episode is longer than it was for the vast majority of our Wheel of Time episodes. <laughs> and I thought to myself, is this because I stopped being lazy or something? Hell no, that's not it. I think it's because even in a series like the Wheel of Time, with thousands of named characters and dozens of plot lines, there's still a clear delineation between characters that deserve talking about and ones that we really don't have time for if we're going to try and stay within like a somewhat two-hour time frame, right? But with, with the gap cycle here today, I saw my list of characters, all the ones I wanted to talk about. There's like nine of them or ten of them, and I thought, damn, that, that is a long list. Who, who can I take out here if I need to? Because we're gonna, I thought we are going to have more guests. And after a whole minute of consideration, I realized I can't take out any of these names. We have, we have Morn, Davies, Angus, Min, Nick... King Sikorso, Soros, <laughs> Warden, Sib, they all deserve part of the discussion today. And I think it's because every one of them has some vital part to play. And it's something I'm starting to realize is like, I'm starting to recognize on an almost meta level with Donaldson's writing as a whole. He's just, he's making, he's so good at making every character matter. Even with Mika and Zero and Vector. I, how did I forget Vector? Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's very... It's very deft, and it took me four books to realize it because it's subtle as well. It's really, really well done. Yeah, you nailed it. He he just has such a grasp of character and a grasp of humanity. He knows how to make someone feel important in just a couple of pages. Uh, he, I mean, what, we had one point of view from Zero... And your heart just breaks for the kid. Oh, yeah. And we have one point of view from Sib, and your heart breaks for him. Like, yeah. he, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that much more in, in a bit. But uh, Donaldson really is writing an epic here, but with true economy of space, he makes everything matter. Even, even these random background characters who get mentioned in UMCP lore come back around like Nathan Alt. We hear about, you know, this ignominious tour of duty that he had and he yeah, was court-martialed yeah. and all of this. And then he shows up and he's the Kazi at the emergency session. Yeah. And you know, things like that. It, it's incredible economy of space and economy of characters. But, yeah. but yeah, I, I did have a couple of other, style points and one uh, I've I've mentioned this sort of obliquely in the past but his use of repetition uh 
first off in in sort of taglines, sort of like cornerstone phrases in a similar way to what Glenn Cook does in The Black Company, you know, with the, the mantras almost repeated, soldiers live and wonder why, water sleeps, my brother unforgiven, things like that. Here we have, it's got to stop. And now in the second half of this book, we have, I'm not your f***ing son. And, you know, the most important thing uh, with with uh, what Morn told Davies, you know, you're the second most important thing in my life or in the galaxy. You're my son. But the first, the most important thing is to not betray my humanity. And that comes back around again and again. And we have these we moments with the characters where they they keep going back to these really important things, these important lines. And Donaldson uses them to drive home emotional like capstone moments for the story. You see these lines getting repeated a lot when there's a really powerful scene happening. And I really like that. On the other hand, he has another kind of repetition at play here that I don't like as much. And that is um, replaying scenes from another point of view. Yes, several oh times, my god, yes, okay. You know, several times where Angus, we have an Angus point of view as he's leaving Trumpet and he talks to Morn over the intercom. And then we get to the end of that chapter. And then the next one is Morn's point of view. And it rewinds and replays the entire conversation word for word with Angus. But from Morn's perspective. And, and I understand why he's choosing to do this. Because he, he sees that as important to get the internal workings of both characters in the conversation as the conversation's happening. But it it does bring in a little bit of confusion and uh, especially at a couple of points during the climax of this book, it, it was a little frustrating where you, you feel this breakneck pace, all this action, and then you rewind and you're like, I already know this. What happened next? You know, like, yeah. Uh, and, and so that's honestly, you know, I, I haven't had a whole lot of criticisms about this series uh, in general. This is one of my favorite series of all time, but this is one of my biggest criticisms. Is, I'm glad is you mentioned way that. He, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I just I meant to, to talk about that too, and I totally forgot to write that down because I did also very specifically notice this at a few distinct points. Um, it was cool the first couple of times. I'm never one to really uh, mind actually going back and retreading another conversation from a different point of view. I actually kind of like that little moment of discovery sometimes when it's like, oh, you realize that's what's happening. You get that familiar line. But after the fourth or fifth or sixth time, there came a moment where I realized, oh, I've gone through 100 pages and only like 30 pages of plot has actually happened because we're, mm -hmm. yeah, we're, 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 we're switching back and forth quite a bit. I'm glad you brought that up. I totally forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I think that's pretty much the end of my uh, style points uh, on, on this half of the book because, to be honest, this is pretty much just all action. <laughs> yeah. It, it is, uh, it is intense. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, well, I'm ready to go into characters then. I don't know if you are. Yeah, let's do it. Because I think okay. we're going to have a lot to talk about with characters. <laughs> we have to start with Morn, as we usually do. Um, yes. I really don't have much more to say about Morn. That's because I've already said so much already. Like, she still seems to spend the vast majority of the narrative at the center of everyone's thoughts, at the center of Davy's thoughts, at the center of Angus's thoughts, at the center sometimes of Warden Dios's thoughts, even Nick Sicorso, whose literal last words were Morn and God. But 
Obviously, none of that's Morn's doing. Like, she's a strong character in, in her own right, and she's doing what she hopes is right. And she had some major turning points in her motives, especially in her motives as a cop in this section. So, still a fantastic character. Nothing really to complain about on that front. Yeah. So, the biggest thing I think this part of the book does is it finally gets to the core of why. Why she chose to take the zone implant and go with Nick in the first place. We, we really dig down to the raw essence of what drives Morn Highland as a person. And that is that she's punishing herself. She is internally guilty and everything she has done in her life has been on some level or another a self-punishment. And choosing to use that zone implant, choosing to go with Nick, was just another way that has manifested. And it has now come to a head where the solution to her gap sickness is self-harm. Where she has to hurt herself to push through the the clarity of the universe and come back to herself. And she yeah, I... she ends this book, one of the, the final one of the final lines Morn has. When I'm in trouble, she said like a sigh, the only thing I can think of is to hurt myself self-destruct i need a better answer i'm glad you brought this theme of, of self-harm and or, or self at least you know self-punishment because that's going to be in one of the quotes that i have for my favorite scenes it's not that one i was afraid that you were about Ooh. to take one of my favorite scenes but you didn't Ooh. but you're, you're okay. you nailed it exactly why i love that portion of her character that dimensionality that she brings mm-hmm yeah, yeah extra yeah. dimension yeah but yeah and um Go ahead. And once again, I just I love seeing her through the eyes of other people, especially Mika, um, uh, or, or just in general the crew of Captain's Fancy, the way they lived for so long, seeing Nick as a Superman, and seeing themselves mm-hmm. as tiny people, and then Morn steps in and exceeds Nick, and inspires the rest of them, and and you can just see the esteem. They all hold for more. You know, we we have the the argument uh, on the bridge after they capture Nick, and Sib starts talking, and Vector cuts him off and says, "Don't. This is between them. You and I haven't earned the right to an opinion." And then later with uh, with Mika. Slowly, Morn opened her eyes and turned to face Mika. Now the darkness in her gaze looked like a wail of loss. Right now, he's leaving the choices to me. Mika tried, but she couldn't hold Morn's eyes. Not for the first time, she felt weak and limited in Morn's presence. Essentially ashamed. Morn should have been the weakest person aboard. Certainly she was the most damaged. And yet, she was stronger than anyone else. She just didn't know it. Like these profound moments of other people recognizing the heroism within Morn Highland, it's inspiring. Hmm. Feels appropriate. Uh, Davies, shall we move on to Davies since they go hand in hand? Or do you have more about, yeah. uh, about Morn? No, I, I'm I'm done with Morn. Um, okay. Davies frustrates me in this part of the Thank book. Thank you. Yeah, that's what was my next point. Go on. Preach. 
<laughs> like he he gets so wrapped up in his own failings and it makes sense like, like it's not that this is poorly written or uh you know doesn't track with his previously established character but he just he he gets in the way so much he gets in his own way and he gets in the way of other people uh more competent people and and that's frustrating in a like plot pacing perspective Hmm. Yeah, I wrote down that. Like the only point I have about Davies is that I wasn't as impressed with Davies as I was with Morton in this section. He just felt naive. He felt immature at times, bloodthirsty a little bit, which in its own right I can kind of understand. But it's very inconvenient at times. He did do some very important things, and he's not a bad guy, obviously. But it yeah. just it feels at at specific times like he's there almost to be this teenage angst that we're not getting from Pup or from Ciro. <laughs> Yeah, that sure. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely teenage tanks going right. on there. Yeah, for good reason. I mean, of he's... course. Again, it's not in- <laughs> invalid. It's just uh, it 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 gets in the way a little. You you phrased it perfectly. Mm-hmm. I liked what you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to move on to uh, to Ciro or or Sib? Uh, I was gonna save Sib for for last. Ciro, okay. I can yeah, talk yeah. about. I didn't write down anything about Ciro in particular, but I could riff. Okay. Yeah. I I just. I have kind of, you know, a brief, brief note. We'll talk more about Ciro uh, in the next book, but uh, just one of those really, really excellently written chapters. The the pure terror leaks from the pages mm. when when we're with, with Ciro. Um, and, and, and even when we're not in his head, but uh, afterward, when we, uh, like... When we get Mika's point of view and Ciro's back on the on the ship and and he's yeah. just like in this fetal, um, you know, lockdown and and can barely can barely function from his terror, and I thought it was just genius writing, like to do so much work in so little so little space. Yeah, Pup was... It's so hard for me to read Pup because I like Mika, and this this may have been unconsciously a huge reason why I vibed so well while reading Mika was because I myself have a little brother who I have been super protective over, sometimes overbearingly protective over since he was, you know, since he was born. And I know what it's like to fear more for someone else than you could possibly fear for yourself. And so it... it it was I don't want to say it was traumatizing to read that's too strong of a word but it was it definitely struck a few chords that I wasn't uh that I didn't enjoy and it it, was, it hit a little too close to home so when I was reading sure. a lot of Ciro's misfortune and a lot of his terror and a lot of especially Mika's absolute helplessness to do anything about it like there's one moment where she uh she just starts crying because she can't get him to talk. She can't get him to confide in her. And it's just, it's, it was so hard to read, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But very well done. Again, this is a mark in, in favor of Donaldson. He's the fact that he can do that with a couple of characters whom don't get a lot of page time in this book at all. Yeah, or the and, series and, and at all. in fact, yeah. as I was saying that I realized I whom? Uh, we don't actually get any points of view from Sira. I was thinking that we did when uh, he met oh, that, with right. Soros, but it was actually from Soros's point of view. Soros's point I think of that view, just she was already berating herself for it. Yeah. Even more to the uh, to the power of that 
that sequence that it feels like we're with Ciro when we're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I had totally just gone along with that. You're totally right. I wouldn't have stopped to stop to realize that. Oh no, that was from from Soros's point of view because we need that little bit of context for what she does later. But yeah, yes. Ciro is uh, is a heartbreaking <laughs> read. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, Angus. Sure. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> oh yes. I think I have to admit finally that I have read everything from Angus that I was daring to hope to get. I mean, he's done it. Donaldson has completely turned this character around in a way that, as I said previously, I would have just put money on being impossible until I had read it. He's not a likable guy, Angus. Not Donaldson. I'm sure no. Donaldson's very likable. But you can you can root for Angus. Unashamedly root for him at this point. That's narrative magic. Donaldson is a wizard, dude. <laughs> yeah. What? yeah. Take it, man. Uh, what do you think? The first chapter of, of this week's reading... Just the the mm. anguish, yeah. The the turmoil that Angus is going through comes pouring out finally, and like this is one of the things you know with Angus that's frustrating. Even as you're trying to root for him, and this is something Donaldson does really, really well with his anti heroes. He he gets you where you want them to do the right thing, and but they're bad people, and so they they get dragged, you know, kicking and screaming on the way to doing the right thing. And and uh, with Angus, there are moments where he has an opportunity to really communicate with Morn, but he doesn't know how to. His fear won't let him, and so he he turns to you know insults and and brutal. Yeah. Retorts and, and, and being rough with everybody around him because he's he's so incapable of showing his vulnerability. And here in this scene, finally, he does that. He exposes himself to Morn and Davies, and it's so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, chapter 47 is what really sold it for me. That's when he's on his EVA, right? He's like, as he's about to launch that singularity grenade for like the, what is the most epic Hail Mary of all time. Somewhere yeah. <laughs> inside the lost crib of his EVA suit, he had to, uh, he, he had to bind the, st oh, what? I must've had a typo there. He had to summon the strength to throw a grenade at sore. There's a word there I didn't get. Um, but for the last time in his life, his wrists and ankles were tied to the slats. Like very, very very powerful imagery in these scenes every time like the thoughts of the crib and fear and terror and torture leak into his thoughts or sometimes combine into it with his thoughts of what's going on in the moment it's just mm -hmm. it it comes right off of the page and it's so horrifying but it's so immersive at the same time and it's just i mean it just lends so much more to every single one of these moments yes yeah, he is a, a, a just such a compelling character. Yeah. I, I was hoping he would survive the singularity in the aftermath, and that felt surreal to be hoping that Angus Thermopylae would survive. And I'm glad he survived. So I just I want to see more of this trend. He's on an upward trend, and I just I still want to see it continue going up and forward. So one book left. Well, read, read and find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else about Angus? Shall we go into? Uh, 
certain captains who I'm going to be railing about. Yes. Uh, okay. a, little, a little Nick Sikorsa action no, here. Sikorsa. It's going to be difficult for me not to add a bunch more work for you, Drew, during this segment. Because <laughs> it's getting harder and harder for me to just say Nick Sikorsa without adding that f***ing in the middle. It just, it, it, it's, <laughs> it fits so well with this slimy piece of shit. Like, how can he be anything other than Nick f***ing Sikorsa? But... I just need to point that out. I'm struggling here, buddy, but I'm doing it because I care. Well, let's talk about the beauty okay. that is Nick Sikorso's character arc in the ha- second half of this book. <laughs> sure. How perfect uh, the, the poetic justice of him going out like an absolute chump. <laughs> Yeah, like, if I had my perfect scenario, I, I was thinking about this, too. I've never had a character that actually made me stop and think, how would I How would I want them to die in the perfect scenario? <laughs> I was starting to disturb myself, and I thought, I was like, okay, with Nick Sikorso, I would say, I, I definitely want it to be Soros Chatelaine, even though I don't, I wasn't a huge fan of her at the time when I was thinking mm-hmm. of this. I just hated Nick that much. Um, but I just, I wanted her to be the one to finish him. I wanted him to die at her feet, and I wanted him to die hearing everybody laugh at him. Which would have been like I just wanted him to die in the most most agonizing way for him specifically, and it was it was a damn good ending. I liked seeing him die. Just mm. like what I love about it is that he he put himself in the situation that he loses one final time, and because himself, he did that, sitting. ultimately his entire life was fruitless. His entire life was lived in vain. Or his entire adult life, at least. Because he spent all of this time with one goal. To prove that he can beat Soros Chatelaine. And even when he had the opportunity, he couldn't do it. And in fact, she was so much better than him that... You know, like, you you get this scene, right, on the bridge of Soar, and and Nick comes in, you know, with his, like, you know, his badass one-liner and his giant laser gun, and and you're like, okay, we're going to have, like, a real showdown scene, and then it's over in, like, half a page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Oh. I mean... Uh, he's just he's he's at his he's at his most despicable most despicable here. The way we start this week off reading him in chapter twenty seven, he's just so happy about his glorious fortune. Having he's left Angus behind to play with Morn and Davies, God forbid, and his, his on his way to just screw over everyone else around him. Just happy as a pig and shit, that everything is. Of course, working out for the man who stands at the center of the universe, as it always should have been. Just the, the entitlement coming off of the page, the smug superiority. I was, it was in that moment that I, did, I was deciding, okay, now I know how I want him to die. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I just, oh my god. Hmm. I'm glad. And so what he glad. did to Ciro, I mean. Yeah. What he did to, what like, Soros did, Ciro what Milos there. did, but, but the fact that Nick used him as a pawn and and sacrificed him. I mean, Nick yeah. didn't know exactly what would happen, but he knew something horrible would happen Yeah, to Syrah. But he didn't care. Oh, boy. Just, yeah. I'm glad that we're talking about Nick Sikorsa for the last time. It's like a it's like a burden that I can just, like, float yep. out there. You know, just like, okay, it's gone. It's I hope it's gone. He's not going to make a miraculous recovery. He can't. Yeah, but because- that's, that's okay, because... Uh, 
now now you're going to get a, a a full book of Cletus Fane. Oh, who's that's who's really? also an absolute POS. So Ooh, good Santa Claus, really? Yeah, Santa Claus. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. I'm excited. And, and by the way, what a genius character description. Yeah, like <laughs> this slimy politician who looks yeah. like Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. All right, Soros, Shadowling, hey. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Wow, dude, what a character! I am not even sure. Really, I wasn't sure where to start with in my notes with this one. She's very clearly a complex character. I mean, she does loathe some stuff, but. She like she thinks far more emotionally centered. Her thoughts are far more emotionally centered, I should say, than I would have expected. Like, I was immediately one hundred percent on the hate train for Soros when she injected Zero. But yeah, every time we returned to her head, we kept getting this recurring mental beat, this self-imposed damage about how worn away her heart is, how broken it is, how she doesn't yes. deserve like she just doesn't deserve period it just it really stood out with uh when she was talking to rutledge Rut- rutledge rutledge yeah rutledge you know there there will be nothing left but dust and then it followed by that internal beat of like my heart and it's just like oh. she's just so multi-dimensional as a character right right from the get-go i loved it yeah i mean when she's first introduced in uh in a dark and hungry god arises Helping the bill on the one hand, you know, she's, she's working with the bill, working with this clearly scummy, you know, evil guy. And, and we've already heard about her past, you know, that she's got this, uh, you know, she slaughtered like a whole crew of people on, on the original captain's fancy. And then we find out about the, the history of Gutbuster and, uh, and how she's the one who's responsible for, uh, the death of Bryony Highland. And yet, one of the first things she does in A Dark and Hungry God Arises is decline to torture Davies. The bill gives her, like, carte blanche to torture Davies. And she refuses to do it. I totally forgot that was her. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. Even better. <laughs> Even better. That sacrifice play at the end, you know, turning on the Amnion, blasting oh. through Milo's Taverner's head, especially killing Nick Sikorso, regardless of the reason. Hang on a second, I'm getting a, a call here. I gotta decline that. Sorry. Um, Yeah, like, so killing Nick Sikorso, I mean, even regardless of the reason, she became my favorite character in the space of about 15 seconds there. It's brilliant. <laughs> even if you don't like her, which is, again, it's very reasonable not to say you don't, one doesn't like her. I'm not even sure if I could say I entirely like her. It's just brilliant drama. Brilliant, brilliant drama. Yeah, I mean... She she kills like at least to this point in the book the two most despicable characters in the span of like thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, she kills Nick and then she kills Milos. Win. Yeah, giant giant big fat W right there. <laughs> but but she's despite that I still have a hard time liking her because she does do horrible things. She does inject zero. She right right breaks the poor kid with terror and i mean it's hard and and that's i mean that's why this series is so good all of the characters do terrible things at one point or another and and so you know when when you're going from uh you know at the end of this book or in the middle of this book where you're full-on rooting for angus and then you think back, wait a second, this guy sold 28 people to the Amnion, and he tortured and raped Morn for months. Like, 
or for weeks, I guess. Um, but, but like he did terrible, terrible things. And yet you're like, but I'm rooting for this guy. Mm-hmm. There's, there are few characters I've read who, who approach this sort of complexity. And two of them are in this series with Soros and Angus. Yeah. Yeah, I do have one tiny complaint. It's not about Soros, though. Um, well, maybe it is slightly about Soros. It's about what needed to happen with Soros to set up this this appropriately dramatic moment with Nick Sikorso. Um She specifically noted that she didn't get to see Sikorso die once she mm-hmm. jettisoned the, the, the BFG out there. And just minutes later, <laughs> she notices one of the airlocks cycle from her readouts there on the bridge. And she even thinks about how well, none of my people would know, would think to do that or would, they would know better than to do that. But she still just decides, ah, I'm sure it's nothing. You know, I get that she's preoccupied with what's going on here, but as a reader, I'm detached enough to know exactly what's coming. And it kind of killed the tension of a large part of that conflict for me because I was clearly supposed to care about what was going on there on the bridge, on Soar, and to follow what's going on. But I spent the whole time waiting for Nick Sikorso to make his dramatic appearance. So So I, I understand where you're coming from there, but I kind of disagree. Because sure. what, at least the way I read it, is that she knew. She, like, deep down she knew. But she just didn't care. Like, it was it was another indication of just how small and insignificant Nick Sicorso is. She's like, I have way more important things to deal with. If he shows up, I'll beat him again, whatever. But I don't she, need to worry about I don't about accept this. that, though, because what if he had just shot her before opening his mouth? I mean, did yeah, she know his Nick ego? Sikorso. She, oh yeah, she does. Oh yeah, she does. <laughs> Seems so flimsy. I don't know. It's putting so much on the line just to make a, one more insulting point about somebody who's apparently not even a big. I don't know. I would have just put like maybe one tiny guard on the door just to make a, a, an extra insult or something. I don't know. It just it seemed like I wasn't supposed to expect it, and I was just t- so totally expecting it. I was, oh no, I think we were absolutely. Yeah, at least I could have just for astute it. readers. I, yeah, you're supposed to pick read. it up. Yeah. I will definitely admit that this could just be like a first read going through trying to get something done for the podcast, and I just missed like a dramatic point there. Perhaps, yeah, it's, it's totally possible. Oh yeah, I, I don't think you missed anything. I think you you picked up on the hints that Donaldson laid. Like it, I if, guess, if a yes. reader if a reader is not paying attention, it may come as a surprise. But it's you know it's it's the kind of thing Brandon Sanderson does all the time, where he, he'll see these yes, things in, and if you're paying attention, you'll you'll see it coming in the climax. That's that one more way that Sanderson is ruining other authors for me. I guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, he spoils me. Okay. Um, I didn't write down anything for Warden Dios because we didn't get much from Warden Dios in the whole second half of this. Like, But we did. We got Warden Dios by proxy. Because we find out what he did to circumvent Holt Fastener's orders. You know, he Holt told him, you have to give the codes to Nick Corso. And, and it's going to go through a UMC listening post, so I'm going to be able to read what you send, and I'll know if you don't follow my orders. So he has to. But he found a way around it. See, okay, I was I was a little confused. I thought that maybe he had just sent it, and he trusted that Min or even Dolph Ubiquity would, would have the sense to also add the code on the side. I didn't I didn't immediately assume that the code on the side also came from Warren Dios. But I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely? Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Excellent. 
cool. Yeah, because the Punisher is like spending all of this time trying to figure out what the code is, and they can't figure it out. Oh, I'm a, I missed that. Okay, I gotta pay yeah. more attention to what I'm reading here. Okay, all right, fair, fair play. Um, um anything else about Warden you want to say though? Because like I had said, I didn't really write anything. Else no, no, that's that's really the only. Okay the only point that he comes into play in the second half of this book. Oddly enough, same, and I wasn't expecting to say this about Min Donner, but didn't really have much else to add about Min Donner there as well. Yeah, I mean, she only got, what, like two points of view? Three points of view? I just realized I spent a whole, yeah, a whole she got talking three point three points of view in the entire half of the book. Yeah. So... I just realized I had spent a whole five minutes while you're talking about how every character is seamlessly added and how they're all very vital. And I'm just sitting here character after character now going, yeah, but I didn't really have much to talk about with them this week. <laughs> but they well, do actually, have vital parts, obviously. We obviously. did have a little bit more about Warden Dios in the ancillary documentation. Oh my God. Journal. Yeah. How could I forget about that? How could I forget about that? Yeah. That's true. Um, I mean, it wasn't anything like groundbreaking. It it's just kind of provided more context for like, Sure. What Warden's childhood was like, you know, growing yeah. up in this sort of borderland, and 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 how he he was uniquely equipped to deal with this sort of borderland situation because of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with Min, uh, I mean, she's fine. Um, honestly, like better than I remembered. For for some reason, I I really remember not liking Min much in this book, really, um, and 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 being like really frustrated by her conflicts with with Dolph, but they weren't as present as I remembered them being. Like there was really just the one, uh, kind of confrontation in the first half, uh, and yeah, like where he summons her to the galley. But even even that, they walk away on pretty good terms because you know he he tells her like, all right, you know now raise your voice and shoot me out and and watch what happens yeah, and yeah. Um, and then here they're even though he's still frustrated by her um, lack of transparency, they're working together pretty well, and so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but that that's that could even just be a professionalism thing. Like, they're both very well... They, they both take their, their job seriously, and they're both very competent at the And they jobs. respect each other. And there's... Yeah, so once you have... Once you're competent at your job, there's a very clear line of command and, and order of, of how you're supposed to do things. And, you know, you're you're both... It's, it's it, Yeah, it, it, it makes sense for both of them, but it didn't really stand out. I love Dolph Ubiquity. Actually, I should have written down some about him. I'm kind of regretting that I didn't. Awesome character, that guy awesome yeah he's great oh. um, next one i do have points about though is hashi you discuss yeah hashi? yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. you look excited for that one <laughs> you know i originally wrote for this week you know why i love hashi Liebwall for this week because two sentences into his chapter we're getting quantum mechanics yeah right heisenberg's uncertainty differentiating and weighing electron position and velocity i'm just like yep okay i'm in i love it doesn't take much i'm very easy to please that way yeah. yeah, he's Hashi just has a, a unique perspective on the world. He, the way he views truth is, I mean, honestly, it's ethically dubious, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it's fascinating. It's it, it makes for really compelling reading that we can get in the head of somebody who is extraordinarily gray. <laughs> 
you know, th- this yeah. is not this is not a good person, but not really an evil person either. It, it, he's a person who tries to like eschew morality, mm. and and because of that, at some points he finds himself doing the right thing, and at some points he finds himself doing the wrong say, thing, and it's like he can't, yeah. he doesn't fully understand why things are right or wrong. <laughs> no. He just tries to, like, apply a value to morality. And when you assign a value to morality, it allows you to do some very dubious things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I will admit that eventually, and it didn't really actually take too long now that I think on it, This his verbose style of speaking, this almost unnecessarily poetic exposition around him too it got a little tiresome it or maybe just got old kind of quickly i could see this working for two or three pages at a time but not for 30 it it was it's great stuff objectively but it's like a mouthful of honey you know i just i prefer it in smaller amounts (laughs) i mean it's it's tough like i i get why donaldson did it this way like the second half of this book is so insane like he he doesn't want to have to constantly break up uh the action so he's like all right i have i have to end this character arc you know on earth in the second half of the book i need to get the the emergency session but i can't disperse it into like five chapters and constantly break the action back you know uh, around the lab yeah okay fair so he's like it's just going to be one chapter. It's going to be pretty, pretty chunky in my hardcover. It's 21 pages. Um, but it's a really good chapter. I mean, like it, it is a climactic chapter in its own way. We get, uh, um, a new, a new antagonist introduced. We get a, a, a pretty cool action moment and we get really important, uh, like story movement with the, yeah. uh, the session itself and the bill of severance and, I mean, the Bill of Severance, we've known about this. This has been a, a Chekhov's gun hanging yep. on the mantle <laughs> since the first half of uh, A Dark and Hungry God Arises with, with Min going down to visit Sixten. And now, finally, we get that gun taken down off the mantle. And, uh, and I, I mean, I love it. Like, this is... This is just the start of some of my favorite scenes in the whole series. This this may come as a shock to you, but some of the scenes in the GCES sessions coming up in the next book, whoa. <laughs> okay. Absolutely gripping. Okay. Like I'm really intrigued like, because I haven't been like too into these yet. Just on just as a subjective thing with my own personal taste and my dislike for politics. I'm so, interested. Okay. You So one interested. of the things Donaldson does really well is that his politics are always um supported by action scenes. Like the first scene with Min meeting with Sixton to talk about the Bill of Severance. Suicide bomber. Here, a voting session of the governing council of Earth and Space, suicide bomber. Like it, we have, we have these interspersed uh, threats, physical present threats that gird the 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 political sequences and give them more uh, tension and intensity. Mm. And I love that. Like it's a very different kind of thing. Like like for instance, 
the opening scene of City of Stairs. It would be like if while they're they got the guy on trial, another like new Bulakov dude broke in with a gun and tried to you know like yeah, yeah. shoot up the place or something like that. There's some juxtaposition so, there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, my last character that I have points on is Sid Mackern. Sid Mackern. My man, Sid Mackern. Rest in peace. Who got played, just like I predicted it would be two books ago. I gra- like It took longer, granted, than I thought it was going to be to turn out this way, but the result is the same. I knew his heart was going to get him killed. I knew, based on the sheer grittiness of the story as a whole, that Sib just as the kind of character he is, would definitely be dying, and likely in an incredibly unfair way, because he's just too innocent, he's too good of a person, he tries too hard to actually get what he deserves, rather than, you know, sharing the karma of of the corrupt assholes around him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I said it earlier, heartbreaking. I mean, Hmm. the way his chapter starts, Seb Macron wanted to be spared. My God, I forgot that was actually the first line too. I was gonna. Oh my God! In retrospect, he thought that must have been what he'd wanted his entire life. Perhaps it was because he'd been spared so little. Unheeded supplication was his whole story. Spare me, no. Right from the beginning, his name was short for Sybil. His mother had wished for a girl. Ever since he'd become conscious of it, he'd wanted to be spared his own name. No. Like, oh. And then we we have these moments building him up, him finally recognizing what courage really means. Yeah, courage isn't the lack of fear. Courage is acting with your fear. And Morn, you know, like, Morn makes sure... He knows this. Just another way Morn is an absolutely incredible, you know, like ah, she's a absolutely she's inspirational a person. Excellent change in 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 yeah. I mean, there's a moment in somewhere in the late chapter twenties or early chapter thirties. It was not during Sib's chapter. I'm pretty sure it was not during Sib's chapter, but it's this moment where where Nick grabs Morn. By the by, the arm or by the elbow, and then she pulls him. She pulls herself free, and then like almost rudely, like Sib just puts himself right in between the two of them. You know, yes. that overtly threatening motion from Sib Mackern of all people. You know, it just it was it was nearly heartwarming in that scene. You know, I was still afraid for him, so it wasn't entirely heartwarming. There's a little bit of fear there, but I was stoked to see him. You know, when when Nick returned to trumpet and that melee started, just. Sib just full of blind animal rage and desperation to to prove something, and he's just completely overwhelming Nick's smug ego and overconfidence with uh, those repeated elbows or something. Yeah, yeah. I seriously considered asking Felcandy, our artist, to sketch a thumbnail for this week. It's just Nick Sikorso getting his ass kicked. It was uh, so fun. Always satisfying. <laughs> so fun to read. Yeah. But of course, as soon as he volunteers to go with Nick, I knew it was the end. I, I, we all knew it was the end of him when that moment came. Like, we just needed, of course, we needed that one more, that one final reason to hate Nick Sikorso even more. And we got it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that, that one chapter with, with Sid, 
just another example of that that economy of words economy of space and character where he he can break your heart in one chapter in a flash of coherent light sib mackern was spared you know, you know what you know i want to take i want to take the opportunity to do another inking out loud tradition to raise a drink for sibyl mackern who was treated ultimately oh. with sib mackern was left for dead his friends hadn't had any other choice because that that line is so much more tragic, not simply because they don't know he's actually already betrayed and dead already, but one of his last panicked thoughts was that his friends would have to make the decision to leave him behind alive. And he died not knowing that he was correct even in that. So a drink to Sib Mackern, who deserved better. To Sib Mackern. Hmm. Cold coffee. So, mm. my All last right. character, Hit Vector me. Shahid. Oh, yeah, I forgot Vector. Yeah. So, how are you feeling about Vector now, Rob? I, I mean, I, my opinion really hasn't changed. I'm I, I pretty sure I always liked Vector. I wanted to see some big things out of him, and we got exactly out of him what I thought. And he was morally conscious about it. He was like... Uh, um, Jonas Salk, I think, is the, is the uh, creator of Insulin and just decided to make it free for everybody. I love the fact that Vector Shahid had, had his moment to show that, yes, our faith in Vector was deserved. So you actually did not always have this opinion of Vector. Didn't I? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, You yeah. didn't trust him when <gasps> you first met him. That's and right! I've, but that yeah, was like I've, I've checked in. one. I, I checked in with you again at the end of book three, and, and you were still like, oh, well... Really? Yeah. And oh, I must have changed. So, oh, look at that. Donaldson made me change my mind without even realizing it. It's think about that. It it ha- it just becomes so clear over the course of this book how like altruistic he is. Yeah, I'm glad. And <laughs> and, and I love just seeing the joy. The joy in his eyes, the joy in his voice, the joy in his body language. You could tell that was really weighing him down. When he figures it out and then when he records his message. And then when he finds out that Angus, before going outside for this super desperate, you know, black hole maneuver, Angus made sure to preset Trumpet. To start broadcasting Vector's message. Hmm. It's like, uh, th- this. there's not a whole lot in the series that's heartwarming. But that was heartwarming. Yeah, I'm just laughing about the fact that I totally forgot I used to be sus of Vector. Because I just <laughs> finished saying, I think I liked him from the beginning. And I'm glad to see that my faith in him was rewarded all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part Whoops. of it is because he's initially set up as Orn's friend. And Orn is an absolute garbage person. So, you know, it, there's it, there's reason from the start to say, like, oh, maybe maybe Vector's, like, not on the level. I, I think it was because I didn't... But, tr- I, I think it's because he was too, not like, physically non-threatening with his stiffness. And, like, mm-hmm. I was just like, hmm, there's something being hidden there. We're supposed to dismiss this guy. I was I was reading way too, way too far into it. <laughs> way too meta into but, it. Uh, but, yeah. 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 Cool. So, miscellaneous points. I learned three new words this week. Three? Yeah. 
Number one, avuncular. Relating to an oh, uncle. like an uncle. Yeah. Yeah. I Great a, word. What? <laughs> I had no idea I that there was that a word. word for that. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, pederasty, pederasty, and rapacious were both yeah. new words to me. And both in the same sentence used, yeah. no less. That was yeah. an unpleasant surprise. Yes, it was, I'm sure. <laughs> but given, um, given what those words mean. <laughs> mm-hmm, yep. Yep, and I, I, I go figure. I actually didn't feel the need to look them up and and describe them today. So, all right. <laughs> um, I do have some now. My miscellaneous prediction. Oh, sorry, I have miscellaneous. I didn't actually have any predictions, but I do have two or three more miscellaneous points. I'll give you the opportunity though, because I'm going to be bitching about with, with my next two or three. So, well, I'll, I'll say something positive then. Good, go for it. Go for it. Uh, how freaking incredible was the action, like, these set pieces in the asteroid swarm? A, yeah, a black hole grenade, come on! <laughs> yes, yes. I That's my that's my second point, because I'm going to be bitching about the science in my first point. In the second point, I'm going to be like, oh, but actually, I do like the singularity grenades. Those are dope. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have to, I have to do it again. I have to, I have to bitch about it again. There's a shockwave coming. Once again, we have this damn shockwave. They are riding the shockwave after the destruction of Thanatos Minor. They're riding the shockwave and they're being tossed around by the shockwave after the lab is blown up. It is driving me nuts. And it's not only the fact that we have this magical shockwave that somehow propagates in the cold vacuum of space, but it directly affects the plot so many times. How many times are they referring to riding the shockwave or the dispersion oh, they, wave? They don't. What do you mean they the, don't? No, they, they specifically say the the shockwave won't reach us. Yeah, but that's because no. But what he says is, uh, when we feel the shockwave, there's too much rock in the way; it'll absorb the actual concussion. Yeah, there's like, no concussion. So, well, there's no right. such. There wouldn't yeah, be I, a concussion. I, I, I get that. I get that. But I'm saying it, it didn't affect them. Okay. Well, they were writing the concussion from the first one in the, at the beginning from Thanatos Minor. Yes, at the end of uh, Dark and Hungry God Arises. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like he's just ru- Donaldson's just rubbing it in. Like I've decided that I'm just going to have to accept that in Donaldson's universe there is literally atmosphere and space. Yeah. Or no, that- it's it's like Star Wars. It's a it's cool. Yeah. Exactly. Like, but yeah, you but, can't hear Tie Fighters in space, but that noise is awesome. But so you can hear Tie Fighters more. in space. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> because there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But. But then he goes out of his way to make other things scientifically it's, rigorous. Exactly. This is a possibility yeah. that I'm just not understanding something very basic about high school level science and physics. It's always possible. I mean, sh- I could be totally wrong right now. But if you, <laughs> like, uh, she used her damn proton gun because she wanted that explosion. She wanted the shockwave. I'm just, mm, it's driving me nuts. Why go out of your way <laughs> to make other things? This, oh my God, these damn singularity grenades. I love those. I loved those. Not just for this science, but just because of how, you know, I was I was originally a little skeptical because of how convenient they were out of nowhere because we just never heard of them before. But as soon as I learned how they work, I was totally on board. My guy Donaldson is bringing hawking radiation into grenades. I don't even care. That's infinite cool factor. I'm on board there. But he's also very accurate with 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 rotational velocity and gaining velocity. You know, orbiting the black hole and everything. He's got all of that right. So how do you fuck up atmosphere and space? How do you do that? <laughs> Oh man! Oh, it's Cracks just, me it, up. You can you can you can do either or. It's t- fine, Matt. <laughs> yeah, but when you, I just I'm I'm just exasperated. That's the perfect word to to explain how I feel about that. I'm just exasperated. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I'm done with my bitching. I'm I'm ready to go to my favorite scene. Do you have any more miscellaneous points though before I do? Um, let me just check my notes. God, those um, grenades are cool though. They're so cool though. Oh yeah, there there are a couple of um couple of things I highlighted just that I thought um were great moments just in 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 the writing, in what it said for the characters. Uh this one when when Sixton finally proposes his bill, it's in front of Hashi, Koina sat with her hands at her sides like a woman restraining an impulse to applaud. If she'd started clapping, he would have been tempted to join her himself. Like, I love that. Hmm. It's good stuff. And, I, <laughs> and I'll say, I'm, I'm not talking about yeah. Koina today. I'm going to be talking a lot about Koina for the next two episodes. Oh, man, you teased me so much. Okay. All right. All um, right. Okay. We're going to have some crazy episodes for this next book. I should say something, too. We're going to have two crazy episodes for this next book. Yeah, we, we're going to have some, some logistics to figure out. I'm not... <laughs> You're going to have some not. logistics to figure out. I want <laughs> yeah. no part of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I say we, but I mean Drew. <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, I want but, part of this. I just don't want the logistical, or I should say the administrative part of this. You, you can yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and actually, I think that, that is it, because everything else I have highlighted is for uh, favorite scenes. Perfect. So, shall, shall we begin with our favorite scenes, then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, I'll start with an honorable mention. I only have one honorable mention. Excellent. I have through. one as well. Um, the, the moment, and this is going to sound weird, but I'll justify it. The moment when Holt Fastner tells... Warden Dios to give the Isaac Gabriel priority codes to Nick. Yeah. Just because of the sheer amount of horror that can that can strike a reader is in itself evidence of such powerful, competent character setting and writing on Donaldson's part. The, the ability to be that horrified with a sentence like that is just just top tier, top tier fantasy or sci-fi, whatever. Just writing in general. Yeah. So my well, my, my third. Uh... Oh, sorry, go, oh, you, give, you, give me your yeah. honorable mention before I go my third. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, my honorable mention is Sib's, Sib's mm. chapter. It just... Good choice. Yeah, it, I, I loved that. Mm. Okay. My third favorite <clears throat> is chapter 26, where... Actually, I'm, you know, I'm just going to read the quote. She was the woman Angus had raped and degraded. Whether he knew it or not, he'd given her the right to choose his doom. But the first and most important thing is to not betray my humanity. Everything she'd learned came to this. Revenge was too expensive. Humankind couldn't afford it. Deliberately, she set a lifetime of grudges and self-punishment aside. And this is that moment I talked about earlier when I said, I'm glad you brought up the fact that she's punishing herself because that was in this quote. She set a lifetime of grudges and self-punishment aside. We'll do it, she told Angus, although a voice nearly, her voice nearly stuck in her throat and the hammering of her heart brought her chills up again with redoubled force. We'll trust you. Yeah. Mm. Such an emotionally fraught moment. So well done. When she finally decides to trust Angus. Nice. Right, so third. my third favorite is Hashi's discussion aboard the shuttle down to uh, the emergency session. Talking with Koina. Oh. The verbal okay. sparring. I hated that. <laughs> the, oh, man, I love it. 
really the entire chapter. The entire chapter is just my third favorite. But I, I in particular love when Hashi and Koina speak. Like any time they're they're talking with each other is just a a, a gem. Okay. So. Okay. All right. Like I said, yeah. Again, just a personal taste thing. I'm not a huge fan of the subtle method, methods of address and playing with words and the the, the verbose w- manner in which Hashi Leewall speaks constantly. But you know, that's again very subjective. Uh, my second favorite, chapter thirty. More in deciding why she was going after Sore slash Gutbuster. You're a cop, mm. she once told her son. From now on, I'm going to be a cop myself. Cops were predators, but they didn't hunt for vengeance. If she went after Sore, it would be because Sorus Chatelaine was hum- a humankind's enemy, not because Gutbuster had killed her mother. The, the, and again, I realize this is another one... From Morn's point of view, the power of these intra-character moments. Even now, Morn is... She's casting off more of her own restrictions. She's freeing herself. She's giving herself more agency, is what she's doing. And it's why, even though you know, I, I had some complaints earlier, and especially in other episodes, about everything revolving around Morn, I can't dislike her as a person. She's definitely one of the strongest female characters I've read in years, maybe ever. So, this, um, this decision of hers, the fact that she's still growing this late in the series is just awesome stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, all right, man. Number two. Soros kills Milos and turns on the Amnion. <laughs> what a coincidence. That's my number the, one. So explain ooh, and then I'll just the, riff off of you. The way she begins that with the like teasingly sweet Milos, <laughs> Milos Taverner, and then boom, <laughs> just blows his head off. I loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that that final scene, her entire final scene on Sora, just turning against Taverner, turning against the Amnion, her 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 masters, and you know coming to the aid of Trumpet. There, the moment where she finally decides to listen to her, finally decides to listen to her heart, or that she still has some heart left to follow. You know, there's also the fact that Nick Sicorso finally dies in this scene, like yeah, the yeah. bitch that he is. <laughs> that would make it my top scene regardless but the fact that Soros had such a great climactic moment here was just the cherry on the top for this scene it, just amazing stuff amazing stuff mm-hmm. so you actually nailed my number one as well that was my favorite scene alright well my favorite scene you've touched on already oh yeah uh, basically it is that entire chapter with Angus and Morn and Davies ultimately this- choosing to help Angus get free of his priority codes Oh yeah, but but specifically, uh, it was a different passage for me. I let them do whatever they wanted to me, so they wouldn't go after Nick, so you could get away. He surprised her, almost shocked her. For a heartbeat or two, the cold let go of her, allowing her to concentrate. Why? Why did you care? His voice dropped until she could barely hear him. Because I made a deal with you. He sounded incongruously vulnerable, like a wounded child. I gave you the zone implant control. You let me live, and I kept my end, whether you kept yours or not. In a small, sore whisper, he admitted as if he were laying bare his heart, When I hurt you, I hurt myself. Oh boy. Just evisceration with words right there. 
to the yeah. reader. That's just so fucking good. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, I had some really, I have some really silly complaints that I miscellaneous there about the science and stuff. But overall, this is just, mm, this is top tier writing. Uh, this is perfect material for the podcast. Yeah. So you're, we're four books in now. Do you agree with me that each book has been better than the one before? Oh yeah. Oh my god. Without without a doubt. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. So the trend will continue, I hope, because we have, we're uh, four ways. I up certainly now. think so. <laughs> I certainly think so. All right, it's not going to be any knife of dreams like situation. That's good. It's good. All right. All right. Oh. I am. Uh, oh, I'm ready to. All right. Oh, sorry. I should miss knife of dreams. I meant to say cross with the twilight. Why did I say knife of dreams? Pardon me, anybody who understands that reference, which I hope. <laughs> I meant to say cross with the twilight there. All right. Uh, are we ready to wrap up into the final draft? I think we are. Good stuff. Okay, so I have been drinking today. This time, not water. I mean, I have been drinking water. I need to hydrate. But um, I was just drinking a coffee. Now, um, I had a Tim Hortons Keurig cup coffee mixed with a little bit of sugar-free French vanilla flavored cream and some keto-friendly sugar, like sweetener in it. And it was actually delicious. It was a very, very good coffee. And, of course, now it's 10.46 p.m. I'm wired. My knuckles are (laughs) shaking a little bit. But it's just as well because I have... uh, I have a lot of chemistry to do tonight, unfortunately. So, yeah, I had a, I had a good coffee, though. What about you? Very nice. Well, <laughs> I've been drinking a beer from the uh, ever-faithful Anchorage Brewing Company in Ooh, Alaska. Yeah. Represent. This is a Belgian-style dark strong ale, aged one year. Oh, God, on even Woodford if the Belgians Reserve. are calling it strong, I'm afraid now. Uh, aged one year on Woodford Reserve, double oaked bourbon barrels. Okay. This is ten point zero percent alcohol by volume, mm. and it is it is certainly strong. And as you would expect with like a Belgian strong ale, a Belgian dark strong, like just pure candy malts, dark fruit, caramel, like. Oh my god! This there's a, a really nice bourbon presence from the barrel like mm, it is it is a, a very very nice beer um but it is it is something that fits for a lot of different things in this book but i like in particular because of Soros and the original name of her ship gutbuster oh no okay this beer is called gutted Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. An appropriate send-off. It, that's what you were was... sipping on when I sent off Sib Macker in there too, eh? Yeah, it, it was, yeah. Um, I, I I especially liked the thematic tie-back to, you know, her ship was called Gutbuster. Yeah. And the way it's destroyed, the way it's described is that similar kind of imagery of, like, being peeled open. Yeah. You know, like being gutted, and and I was, uh, I'm I'm sure Donaldson knew that when, you know, that was in his head when he was writing the description of the of Calm Horizons destroying Soar. So very nice, very nice. Yeah, yeah. And I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been episode 125 of yeah. the Inking Out Loud podcast which is getting scary. We're now a quarter of the way to another hundred. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Time's, time's flying, man. It is, it is really flying. But uh, next up, we will be covering the first 23 chapters of The Gap into Ruin, This Day All Gods Die, which is one of the greatest book titles of all time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you would like early access to that episode or want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, where we've got all sorts of bonus content. As always... I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep, yep. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.